Welcome to season four of Business Book Talk. I'm your host, Bob Garlick. This year, we have even more great books to help you excel in business and life. You can search for book topics and themes at businessbooktalk.com or subscribe using your smartphone for great content on the go. Hi, everybody. Got a new book, The New Rules of Lead Generation, Proven Strategies to Maximize Marketing ROI by David T. Scott. David, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Good morning, Bob. The New Rules of Lead Generation. There was a book way, way, way back. It was The New Rules of Marketing and The New Rules of Advertising or something like that. Super duper popular. Why the new rules? Are, are there new rules? I think so. You know, uh, in 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 the most recent couple of of years, um, marketing uh, has really sort of evolved and changed, mm. and um, has become more of a rigorous academic exercise <laughs> than it's been before. Yeah. You know, I mean, back in the day of Don Draper, you know, used to have a a scotch and think up really great ideas, and it was really about the sort of creativity of those ideas. And I think over time, what's evolved is that the math- mathematicians have taken over. And uh, you know we we've, we've decided to create some algorithms and formality to it, which allows us to be able to squeeze every last dollar out of our marketing exercises. Oh, yeah, that's 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 very true. I mean, with social media and, and um, building communities, it's all really about what's working. And and uh, so, I'm, it's, well, I don't want to say bean counters because it's not really like you're 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 right about the statisticians. You know, you do something, you measure it, you tweak it, you put it out again, you measure it again. Do you think this change um, is is more relevant today because of it's so cost effective to do A/B testing? Absolutely, you know, and the fact that we now have the ability to even track that data in the first place. I mean, uh, you know, fifty years ago, you used to put out a billboard, and the reason why they used to sell it as a cost per thousand is because they they had no idea who was actually reading the billboard as they drove by on their commute to work. Yeah. So you had to approximate within the thousands, you know, which is just so imprecise. <laughs> um, but you know, with digital advertising and even now some newer sort of takes on on old school advertising, you can now count one to one. And you can really see the actual interactions and engagements, and and that creates with this sort of exciting realm of big data, which allows you to really think through and analyze and calculate, which gives you a better ability to tweak and do things like you said, A/B split testing, so that you can get smarter over time in a very iterative fashion. Hmm. Now, why did you decide that this book needed to be written? Uh, you know, because I was I was asked this question so many times, right? I mean, so I I worked with a lot of companies, and 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 what I had realized was that very very few companies, no matter how big or how small they are, actually had a formal process to be able to study their leads. Um, so many times they would spend tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing. And you go, great. What was the return on that? They go, we have no idea. <laughs> you know, yeah. we know our click through rate, <laughs> you know, or we know how much we paid total, but no one really sort of understood, okay, wait, hold on one second. What was our cost per lead or hand raiser? How much did it cost for us to get it through the sales and marketing funnel? How much did it cost per every deal that we won? And were we above water or below water? And so what this book does is it creates, number one, a common terminology for people to be able to utilize across the marketing and sales organizations. Number two, it creates algorithms so that they can very easily calculate these numbers so that they can actually figure out whether or not their marketing campaigns are a success or they're a failure. Hmm. 
Now, you mentioned sales funnel. Uh, that's an old word or uh, old two words. What's new about the sales funnel? Is it exactly the same as it was 10, 15 years ago or has it changed? Yeah, I know. I think so. I mean, there's a lot of really great people who are going through the process of thinking through and innovating the funnel and really sort of trying to study it in a microclimate, right? So mm. understanding that maybe a services sales funnel is different than a product sales funnel, which is different than a consumer-based sales funnel. Um, but when it comes to sort of the economics behind it, the economics are absolutely the same. Um, you know, and, and the stages are fairly clear and fairly cut out. And so, you know, it's marketing's responsibility to really understand what that funnel looks like, to understand the stages within the funnel and to figure out how to actually amplify marketing as it relates to each element of the funnel in order to be able to maximize success. Mm. Yeah, you know, that, um, it reminds me back working back in Marcom many years ago and, uh, there was a real disconnect between the marketing and, and the advertising team, right? You, you had the sales guys, you had the marketing guys, and then you kind of had the crazy designer guys. And none of those departments uh, wanted to talk to each other. Do you think that's changed these days? Uh, I hope so, you know, and, and definitely that's one of the things that I, I'm advocating is that you know, those relationships really have to be intertwined. And, 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 and all of those three departments need to be, you know, united through a common goal. And that common goal is revenue, right? I mean, we all should be accountable uh, for, uh, you know, for the success in the business. And, and, and you'd be, you, you probably wouldn't be surprised, but as I've run marketing teams, uh, I've gotten a lot of pushback with that. You know, we, we don't want to be accountable for sales revenue because we say, oh gosh, that's just the sales guy's domain. I don't want to be held responsible whether or not the sales guy was good at doing his job. But what we have to understand is as marketers, you know, we actually have a very, very significant role in that. We, we actually control the quality of the lead, for example, the, the expectations going into that sales call, so on and so forth. And so we do need to be accountable, and that's the aligning factor. Do you think a fundamental failure of, um, and I'm putting parenthesis here, marketing, is that when you talk to people, they confuse marketing with a salesperson, and there is a there's a huge difference between it. You, a lot of times when I'm chatting with people, I'll ask them, "Are you a closer? Or are you a marketer?" Because that's the difference. You market, you get them a lead, and then you need a closer going in there. You don't need another marketer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, I I think that the role of the marketing person is really to sort of increase and, and amplify interest. You know, and 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 that's our job. You know, we we try to arouse the excitement within the client. And, and to your point, the salesperson there is really there to seal the deal. They're, they're there to capitalize on the excitement uh, and, and go ahead and put ink to paper. Let's talk a little bit about how to tackle this book. It has, I'm just going to go through here, 16 chapters. It's, it's not a, I mean, it's not a thin book in any stretch of the imaginations. It's coming up around 275 pages. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a quick read. It's a great read. It really flows. So how, how should I tackle the book? Should I read it cover to cover? Should I jump around in it? What do you recommend? Yeah, so you know the book is divided into two parts. One part is the strategy part, where we talk about sort of how to think about a lead, how to define it, what's some of the common terminology that you might use and then adopt within your organization, uh, and then what what the mathematical equations are. You know, how do you calculate lifetime value? How do you calculate ROI? Um, and we go through the reasons why. And and so th that's a great place to start is that first half of the book. 
And then the second half of the book is, is, is actually going deeply into what I call the seven tried and true lead generation tactics. These are the tactics that I think are the most quantifiable and the most successful when it comes to generating high quality leads. Now, of course, you could just say, you know, I only really want to read the email marketing uh, chapter or I only want to read the social media chapter, but I really encourage everyone to, meet, to read them all. And here's why. I actually strongly believe that if you're doing only one tactic as a company, you need to be doing two. If you're doing two, you need to be doing three, so on and so forth. The more tactics that you can put in play, even if some of those tactics are just testing, the better overall your marketing effectiveness will be. And that's because of what we call the halo effect, which means that every single time that you add another tactic on, it actually will increase the performance of the existing tactics. Yeah, it's so true. I remember a book way back, well, several years ago when I started this podcast, and it was called Your Marketing Sucks. And basically, <clears throat> it was quite an aggressive book. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what was interesting about it, at the end of the day, his core message was marketing's a full-time job and sales is a full-time job, so have at least two people involved and do everything. Absolutely. The more you do, the more you're going to get. And this I mean, it was very vague um, about actually how to follow through. And this book is way more detailed. I mean, the the back end of the book, it you really are drilling down into some amazing um, techniques and suggestions. So, for the person that's kind of starting out uh, in re envisioning his marketing department and making it more of a performer. Out of all these sections in part two, because we got what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven uh, subcategories, which one should they start with first, or which two or three do you think makes a good set, or have you put them in in that particular order? Well, you know, I mean, I think that um, you know most people who are picking up this book, I really think are already probably running one, you know, one or two tactics. I'm yeah. hoping, right? I mean. You know, whether or not they're doing trade shows, maybe they're doing a little bit of email, or maybe they even have a team that's doing some cold calling. Mm. Um, and so, so the thought process is to start with that. You know, can you actually start to put some economics around uh, the components and the tactics that you're using today? Uh, and then once you do that, the, the second and, and, and are, you know, hopefully you're seeing success. Once you're doing that, then, then the next question is, can you set aside 10% of your budget to test? And then what would be the next one that you think you'd likely to test? You know, if, if, for example, you just really hate trade shows, you really don't feel strongly about them, then don't start there. <laughs> start with search engine marketing. <laughs> well, unless you do some research and find out that 80% of your sales are going through trade shows or 25% of your sales for the year is at one particular trade show, then even though you're not good at it, you're going to have to start getting good at it. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, and interestingly enough, if eighty percent of your revenue is coming through trade shows, you already are good at it. <laughs> yeah, true, 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 true. Or, or the get better. Yeah, or the market's uh, sensitive that way. I, I mean, a lot of business to business, if it's industrial, a lot of that is still very trade show centric. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's funny too because there's so many people, primarily sort of the new age digital marketers, which really look down on on trade shows, and partly because there's an investment required. You know, it's expensive. 
Oh boy. Yeah. Um, but uh, but if you actually take a look, if you actually run the run the numbers, which is what my book teaches you to do, and you take a look at it compared uh, apples to apples, as you compare, not necessarily the cost per lead, because the cost per lead is always going to be higher for trade shows. Mm-hmm. When you put in the salespeople's time, the travel cost, the bo- the booth expense, etc. But if you actually take a look at the cost per one deal or the cost per revenue, it's actually quite comparable to things like Google AdWords. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and the reason is because the, the, the leads come in more qualified. So, um, so, so I encourage people to try it. In fact, the, the, the C, I was a CMO of a $100 million company right before uh, this interview, and you know, before uh, earlier, earlier uh, in my career. And we did 55 trade shows a year. And we had an average return of $7.50 for every dollar that we spent. So it was an amazing return on the trade shows that we did. It was extremely successful and one of the key reasons why the company was as successful as it was. Uh, Was that specifically because of the product? I mean, one of the things you have to do when you're uh, working, let's say you're brought into a company, say, okay, dude, make it work better make the marketing work better make the get it get us some better leads and you start investigating the market um how important is it for you to understand where the market is as far as this modern thinking with social media and stuff like that you know you go into certain industries and they have no idea about social media and yeah. you go into other industries and they're totally switched on but like you were saying they may be screwing up because they're uh, saying, ah, we don't do trade shows because we do so much social media. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes you don't know, which is why, you know, I strongly encourage uh, companies to, to try it. Um, mm. You know, the, it's amazing how many companies don't see value in social media and they haven't even put their foot into it, right? They haven't <laughs> tweeted, they haven't created a LinkedIn page, they haven't created a, you know, what have you. Um, and you never know. You never know where your clients are lurking. That's very and, true. And so, yeah, and so you know what you know, and so you have to ask yourself, what kind of investment does it really require for me to go ahead and start to give this a shot, right? To start mm-hmm. a LinkedIn uh, profile or <clears throat> set up a tweet, a Twitter account, and and try it. And and I think that the barrier to entry is really low. Now you know, it, you, you mentioned something just there. You know, just setting up a, a, a Twitter account, just doing this, just. It's more than just that, though, right? I think a lot of companies are failing on the social media uh, side of things because they, oh, okay, we'll try Twitter, and they give it to the most junior person in the company, or, <laughs> or, or you know, the the newbie, and say, okay, you're the Twitter person because, quite frankly, we don't think it's going to work, and they're almost like trying to make it not work. Right. Uh, what do you recommend as far as uh, when social media, how seriously should people be taking social media in the sense that should their top salespeople be getting involved or should you bring in a specialty social media team that works hand in hand with your top salespeople? No, I mean, that's a good question. So uh, what you'll notice in my book is that I actually devote two chapters to social media. And the reason is because, um, because it is so new, it is quite complicated. And, 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 and let me explain sort of why I say that. Um, I actually believe that social media in and of itself is not a great lead generation tactic. Um, uh, I actually think it's a good content marketing strategy. I think it's a good brand building strategy. But when it comes to sort of bringing in hard leads, I think it's not terribly effective. Mm. Um, but I do believe in social media marketing. And there's a difference, right? The difference is is that social media marketing is things like sponsoring tweets and sponsoring, um, you know, and, and doing the ads on 
on LinkedIn and, and what have you. Mm. And um, but but to get there, you do have to have some some modicum of success on your actual social media plan. So um, uh, you're right. You know, if you actually take an average size company, let's say a thousand person company, my guess is that ten percent of them have. Twitter accounts and are tweeting regularly, and and as a marketing organization, do you try to curtail that, or do you let them do that? Right? Do they? Is there any value to the brand for them to do that? My strong perspective is um, that marketing should try to do their best to try to really own that dialogue, uh, and should do their best to sort of train and, and equip uh, the salespeople, for example, with uh, as much of the uh, of of the good good you know tweeting practices. That are out there, and and the, the the proper message, and so on and so forth. But then, in some ways, you really got to let those guys do their thing. Um, if they're seeing success by tweeting you know, eight times a day, then then you should encourage it. Yeah, that's that's so true. There's a buddy of mine who's a sales dude, and uh, he brings in more sales and more leads than anybody else in his team, and uh, he tweets all day long. Yeah, I mean, he's tweeting all day long. The only time he picks up a phone is somebody tweets him and say, "Oh, that sounds like a good deal," and he'll tweet back, "Great, what's your number?" And the guy will give him a number. And he'll call him. Like, yeah, so uh, do you want to do that deal? And the guy will say, yeah, "Absolutely." Can you make it better? Absolutely, I'll make it better for you. And boom, he does another close. And he's selling broadband for TV. That's not the sexiest thing to be selling. Wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious with him. Uh, does he spend uh, a lot of time tweeting about the? broadband or just really sort of anything that he finds interesting in the industry? Uh, he's pretty eccentric. Um, he, he's blasting some weird stuff out there. He loves movies and things like that. So what he's, and because people that are into movies appreciate broadband uh, and high quality TV. So it's a nice fit. So for me, a lot of times when I'm, I'm coaching uh, social media teams and companies, I'll say, what are you passionate about? And it doesn't right. have anything to do with what you guys say. What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about um, gardening? Are you passionate about cars? And you know, some say, oh, yeah, I love cars. It's great. Use cars as a metaphor for the product. And then you're done. That's it. That's all you have to do. It's easy. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah, perfect. Hey, there you go. So um, – Digging back into this book, you know, this is a huge amount of information, dude, and you've been doing this a long time. You can just tell by the information that's in here. It's awesome. Um, what was your aha moment? You know, when you were bringing these years and years of experience, you're putting it down on paper or, or onto a computer program. Um, for you, what crystallized? You know, what, what really crystallized for me was, um, you know, the, the clarity that um, – uh, that you really can measure uh, each one of these tactics as diverse as they may be, apples to apples. Really? Um, yeah, and 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 that's what my model shows. So, for example, everyone does emailing, right? And the way that we study emailing is we 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 try to study you know what percentage of our emails actually successfully delivered. So that's called our delivery rate. How many of them were successfully opened? <clears throat> How many of them clicked through? And so that's our click-through rate. Uh, and then we go through and figure out how many convert, right? Mm. Um, but, but if you think about it, you can actually you really use that exact same technolo- uh, terminology everywhere. So, for example, uh, if you're doing search engine marketing, um, you know, the number of ads or impressions delivered is your delivery rate. Um, uh, you know, the number of, of ads that get clicked through to your landing page is your click-through rate mm. and so on and so forth. So the terminology really works really well. 
But you can also think about it in terms of a trade show, right? So if a trade show has 50,000 people who are attending the trade show, you might consider that to be your delivery rate. Mm. Um, and um, when they actually step into your booth and actually engage you, that might be your click-through rate. Um, and so, um, you know, when you start to translate that and, and use like-minded terminology, you can start to think, you can start to see sort of the patterns and systems in any lead generation campaign. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a fascinating way of looking at it, actually. It makes so much sense. A lot, you know, like everything in life is usually the simple solutions that are the most uh, effective. Absolutely. You know, and, and is it perfect? No, absolutely not. But but you know, um, you know, really, you know, doing this and 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 and, and iterating on it is not about perfection. It's it's really about sort of you know um, uh, creating a barometer. Mm. Well, you know, you use an interesting term there, uh, accuracy. I don't think marketing is a terribly accurate um, industry per se. It's more of a numbers game. The more numbers you throw at the target, eventually, the more they're going to go the more will stick. So do you think that's changing now with, with more analytics? Well, you know, I, I, I think so. I, I agree with you. It, it, it really isn't as much of an accuracy game as, as one might think, right? Because if you think about it, um, it's really, really hard to get in the mind of the buyer to determine what they're, to predict what they're going to buy and why. Um, and I learned that lesson really early on when I got into the B2B world thinking that all decisions were quite logical. And finding out that even when it comes to buying things like servers, um, you know, it, it can be a very emotional decision for the buyer. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, they're thinking about how it will affect their career. They're thinking about whether or not um, it, it, it's perceived as the right thing. They're concerned about, um, you know, um, maintaining it and how that will have an impact on their peers. Uh, and so uh, it's just as emotional as buying a sweater. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say so. I mean, really, it's more, when you say emotion, it's more about trust, isn't it? Mm. Or is it more about, like, maybe not trust, but, uh, well, influenced by your peers or people you think are cool or influenced by the design, which you think may be cool. Those are both emotional responses. Um, which right. one do you think? And I think you're right. I think trust does play a role in it as well. Mm. Well, especially if you're going to be risking, like if you're going to be spending $10 million on a product that will either make or break your company or your career, that's a huge trust thing. Why would you trust this person when there's so much information out there? And it all goes down to, do you like that person? And it's funny because, they, 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 of course, there's that age-old IBM adage, right? No one ever got fired by selecting IBM. And, and I think that a lot of people chose IBM for that exact reason. It was safe. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. What a heck of a slogan, man. I wonder if you could reuse that somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, probably took years and years and years to cultivate. But yeah, what an amazing brand positioning to have. <laughs> oh, no kidding. No kidding. Now, um, do you think that, um, you know, the new way of marketing that the, with analytics and stuff like that is applicable to, applicable to any industry? I really do. Absolutely. Um, and that goes from, you know, consumer oriented to, to, to B2B and even some of the larger purchases that are out there. Um, and, and, and it's, it's interesting because I've had a lot of companies out, uh, that, uh, that I've worked with over the years that are billion dollar organizations, which actually own, own their, own their market. Right. So they've got a decent amount of market penetration, you know, they're growing in single digits and, and you, and you wonder whether or not, you know, lead generation matters, but, 
but but what's what's interesting about it is is that you know now you start to share change your your thought process away from share of market and really start to think about things like share of wallet and how do you actually turn these lead generation practices in a way to be able to uh, get your existing customers to buy more mm. and it's just as applicable in that environment as it as it is in any other. Yeah, it's, that goes back to the old adage: uh, "How much money did you leave on the table?" Mm, yes. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you know that. Speaking of that, is there a way to analyze that and and figure out how much money you are actually leaving on the table? Um, you know, uh, I think so, uh, and uh, it's really going to depend on on each uh, individual uh, uh, company and, and what what the breadth of your product offering is. Uh, and yeah, and whether or not uh, you know the budget is spread across different departments. I mean, it's a little more complicated for sure. But being able to to measure share of wallet is actually uh, a very very healthy practice. Yeah, no kidding. Now let's talk about the people that should be reading this book. Um, is it just the marketers? Is it just the salespeople? Or should it be the CEO as well? Yeah, you know, I, I I would love to have the CEO read it. You know, I think that the more literate that he or she can become in marketing, the better. Um, and 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 what what I what I like about this book is that um, you know it, it does encourage a common terminology that should be used across the entire company. And so, to the extent that that quite a few people um, are 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 up to speed on that terminology, the better. You know, I mean, uh, right now the most important people in the marketers live today is the CFO. The CEO and the CIO, mm. um, and uh, you know today uh, in this sort of digital age of, of, of analytics, the CMO can't do his job without those three partners. Um, and so it would be great if all three, all three of them were able to read this book and uh, and to to know to know how to measure success. Hmm. Now, let's say you're in a company, you've read this book, and say, "Damn, this is." Uh I need more people to read the book. What do you think is a good strategy for them to get, you know, more of these books into the same company? You know, it's it's the the, the welcome to bring me out there. I'm happy to uh, to sit down and chat with as many people within their organization uh, as 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 required yeah. uh, to talk about it. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think that um, I think that really sort of starting from within and understanding it, start to actually use and practice this within marketing. Uh, is a great first start because when you start to talk about things like uh, you know LTV uh, and uh, you know and, and uh, you know cost per click, you start to use some of this ter- terminology. Uh, as as you start to interact with people outside the marketing organization, they're going to say, "Well, what does all this stuff mean?" Mm-hmm. And they're hopefully going to look it up or try to look it up or try to learn it so that they can speak your language. And hopefully, they'll pick up this book in order to do that. Uh- is there uh, a way for people to like that are in that like managing decision making departments that maybe don't have time to to go through the whole book? Is there a, a chapter that they should read more than any other chapter, or should they just have to read the first section and and don't worry about the details and then call in their sales guys if they have a specific? I mean, if they want <laughs> if they want to have a broad stroke understanding about how marketing has shifted. And what the, what are the fundamental changes to this engine within their organization? They just want to be able to communicate better with their marketers um, and be able to go into a meeting and say, hey, I just read this book. It's an awesome book. You guys should read it too. This is what I got out of it. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, um, you know, chapters one and two really sort of set this up really nicely. 
uh, where, where really, you know, we do start at the basics, right? We talk about, well, hold on a second, right? Let, let's really talk about what lead generation marketing really is. Let, let's, let's get on that same page. And then second, we say, well, then, and then, okay, now that we know what lead generation marketing is, you know, what's a lead? You know, the, the, this dialogue should be happening within your organization. We all need to get on the same table, uh, get around the same table and determine what a lead is for us. You know, a lead for Macy's is very, very different than a lead for EMC. Um, and so each company has got to really agree upon that. And, and, and even if you don't need, even if you're not a practitioner and you don't want to go into sort of how to actually create a strategy or using the, the, the seven tactics, uh, at the very at the very least, that gives you the context to be able to really help support those uh, marketing efforts. So probably the first two chapters. Okay. Um, wanted to ask you, and this is a totally unfair question, uh, <laughs> what is your favorite tool today? Oh, wow. You know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I love email marketing a lot. Uh, and, and, and email marketing has really gotten a bad rap over the years because of spam and sort of this sort of fear of unsolicited, you know, emails and what have you. And to be truthful, it, it, is tot- it, is, it has absolutely been uh, exploited and abused for sure. Uh, even I uh, am subject to, uh, you know, uh, a number of unwanted emails that for some reason I can't seem to get off that gosh darn email list. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but on the other hand, um, you know, there are some really, really neat uh, – so first of all, it, it, you know, uh, companies study, uh, who study sort of uh, lead generation efficacy time and time again have, have noted that email marketing is on the rise. It, it, is, it continues to be the most scalable and most successful lead generation tool today. Um, and uh, companies every single day are using it on a regular basis in order to achieve success. Um, and then the second reason is, is that there's so many really interesting and innovative companies that are out there that are doing some really, really neat stuff with, uh, with email marketing. Uh, for example, there's a company out of, of Cambridge, Massachusetts. It was started by an MIT professor, um, and he's developed an algorithm that actually allows, you, allows the, the sender to optimize the email offering based off of um, the predictive buying behavior of the actual customer. Wow. So imagine a scenario where you are a, a Macy's customer now, or uh, you're a Bloomingdale's customer. Uh, and you, you, you enjoy receiving these emails, right? Because it, it tips you on different products that are coming into the store. Uh, it tips you on what sales are going on. Um, and so it's not a solicited email in any other way. It's a retention email. It's an email that you receive on a regular basis. Mm. But imagine a scenario where we can use their algorithm and uh, by doing so, uh, you can actually, you know, the, the offers that come to me are exactly what I'm looking for. They, they know exactly what I'm looking for based on what I've bought in the past, based on what people like me have bought, uh, based on, um, you know, uh, uh, my frequencies, so on and so forth. All that does is just increase my chances of being happier um, uh, with the experience that I had with that company and with that email offering. It's very true. I get that with, uh, I think uh, Amazon's doing the, an amazing job of doing that, you know, because you're specifically buying products. But where they fail a lot of times is they'll, I'll decide to buy a product and I'll buy a product and then I still get solicitation style emails from them saying, hey, this product's on special. Dude, I bought that three weeks ago. Why aren't you using this database that you actually own? 
and not waste my time. They should be spend sending me stuff like, hey, if you bought this product, here's five accessories that'll make your product even more valuable. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny that it, you think that would be an easy problem to solve, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of data mining. It's a lot of data mining. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> now, what about the technical side of these things? You know, you, we're talking very large databases. And uh, one of the, the tough things, if you're an organization, especially if you're in the IT side of it, and the company's buying up other organizations, trying to amalgamate these um, these systems is sometimes impossible. I know for a fact that uh, Safeway in Canada got bought out. They just completely stopped their customer uh, card system, not because they didn't want to do it, it's because their database couldn't interface with the old database. And so they just threw it all away. Now everybody's thinking, why am I bother shopping at Safeway because I'm not getting the same deal as a cust value customer because everybody that comes in gets the same price now. What advice do you give to organizations that are in these, these buy-in growth approach where they're buying up other companies and things like that? And they're folding in different marketing departments. How do you manage that change and, and monitor it because you're getting different cultures and, and different strategies? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, and and, and I I think that um, I, I I think that it's it, it is hard, but but as, as many examples as the ones that you've given, there's so many examples of companies that have done it really well. Mm. Um, so um, so this isn't mentioned in my book at all, but I started my career at General Electric actually, mm. uh, and uh, I uh, did a, a one year rotation in Singapore where I worked for GE Asia, which was an amazing experience. Mm. Um, and uh, during that period of time, we did a series of acquisitions in Indonesia, Thailand, and a lot other parts of the ASEAN uh, region. And um, you know, uh, uh, GE is phenomenal at acquiring companies in terms of just sort of being able to instill its culture, so on and so forth. Mm. And it has something called the cat, the cap process or the change acceleration process, which everyone who's involved with an M and A has got to be trained on. But one of the things that it did and one of the things that I was responsible for when I was there was being able to uh, take the new organization, introduce them to the financial systems that we had within GE and to get them adopted on those financial systems very quickly. By being able to do that, by being able to get them onto our financial systems within the first quarter, GE was always able to see a 20 to 25 percent efficiency gain almost immediately. Uh, as well as a profit gain almost immediately from the actual entity. Um, so be, by being able to be on one system and to be very, very steadfast in adopting that system, um, you know, and, and, and having that as part of your culture uh, can be a real strategic advantage for companies that are getting acquired or that are acquiring companies aggressively. Hmm. Wow. Now, for our listening audience out there, what is one thing that they can do today to start uh, utilizing the new rules of lead generation? Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, the first step that I always recommend people do is calculate your lifetime value. Um, it's amazing how many companies, you know, the marketers can't tell me what the average lifetime value is of their customer. And, um, and it's hard. It's a hard equation um, to, to, to master. And for those of you guys who don't know, lifetime value basically means how much money will you make from a customer during a period of time? And, and, and we say lifetime, but it also could be annual. So it could be an annual lifetime value. So how much do you make over a course of a year? Um, but in an ideal scenario, you'd want to know how much over the lifetime. So if they, if they were, if your average, if your customer was with you 
or, or it, it tends to be with you for an average of three years, then you want to really calculate it for the full three years. Mm. Um, sometimes you want to get your CFO involved in that question. It's, 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 it's great to be able to calculate that number on your own, but it's better to actually get it, uh, uh, calculate that number and get into agreement with your chief financial officer. If they can back what that LTV number is, and that gives you more confidence that you've done it right. And so that's the first step. And then once you do that, then you can start to look at your existing lead generation programs with the intent of figuring out whether or not you're making money or losing money in relation to that lifetime value. Hmm. Wow. Now, for people that uh, have read the book or are interested in the book, do you have a website that they can go to and research some more and, and learn more? I do, yes. Um, so first of all, the book can be uh, purchased anywhere that books are sold, so Barnes & Noble, Amazon primarily. Um, but then uh, the website is uh, www.the-new-rules.com. You know, that, that's, that's interesting. With dot-coms, it's harder and harder and harder to get a dot-com <laughs> that's uh, got two words, let alone one word, uh, to work for you. So, yeah, the, the use of dashes is really important. Yes, indeed. And it always confuses people. So, yes, don't forget those dashes, people. <laughs> uh, before we go, do you have one final tip for our audience? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I think that if there's one sort of tip that I'd leave everyone uh, with is um, is is the idea that that you know marketing really now is becoming very collaborative. It's 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 being codependent um, with, like I said, the office of the CIO and the office of the CFO. Uh, but for me, that's a really good thing, and the reason why it's a good thing is because. Um, uh, that means that that our role is becoming more strategic. You know, we're no longer sort of that hole, that pit that we, that companies throw money in, but now we're considered to be a really a strategic department within the organization. Uh, and so, so my recommendation is, you know, embrace that strategic role and really sort of cross the bridge and really collaborate because that's where you're going to get the most effective, uh, uh, you know, campaigns and the greatest success. Well, you know, that's that's a real truism there. Because, you know, you think about how the marketing of the sales department is, has been perceived for many, many years. It's, not, it's almost like, uh, it's like the used car salesman, dude. Nobody respected them. Or if they made huge sales, they say, oh, good job, guys. But they weren't part of the team. They were just this department that did their thing. Uh, so with that statement, that, that's a huge paradigm shift within the C-suite. Yeah, absolutely, huge paradigm shift, and um, but but I really think it's a, po a positive one. In fact, uh, the CIO actually went through the same renaissance about two decades ago. You know, CIO used to stand for career is over, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and now you know they really are at the table as a strategic advisor. Huh. The new rules of lead generation: proven strategies to maximize marketing ROI. David T. Scott, thanks for being on the show. It was awesome. All right. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, leave comments, or make a request on our website, businessbooktalk.com. See you next week.